Good morning, I'm Jared Johnston and uh, I'll be helping us read the Bible together. If you have a Bible from the back, it's page 901 and we're reading Mark 13, the entire chapter. As he was going out of the temple, one of the disciples said to him, Teacher, look, what massive stones, what impressive buildings. Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another, all will be thrown down. While he was sitting on the Mount of Olives across from the temple, Peter, James, John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Jesus told them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumours of wars, don't be alarmed. These things must take place, but it is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. But you, be on your guard. They will hand you over to local courts and you will be flogged in the synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings because of me as a witness to them. And it is necessary that the gospel be preached to all nations. So when they arrest you and hand you over, don't worry beforehand what you will say, but say whatever is given to you at that time, for it isn't you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of my name, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand, then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. A man on the housetop must not come down or go in to get anything out of his house. And a man in the field must not go back to get his coat. Woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. Pray it won't happen in winter, for those will be days of tribulation, the kind that hasn't been from the beginning of creation until now and never will be again. If the Lord had not cut those days short, no one would be saved, but he cut those days short for the sake of the elect whom he chose. If anyone tells you, see, here is the Messiah, see there, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will arise and will perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. And you must watch. I've told you everything in advance. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will be falling from the sky and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. He will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as, it branch, as, as, soon as its branch becomes tender and sprouts leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see these things happening, 
recognise that he is near at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now, concerning that day or hour no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father, watch. Be alert, for you don't know when the time is coming. It is like a man on a journey who left his house, gave authority to his servants, gave each one his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. Therefore be alert, since you don't know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, or at midnight, or at the crowing of the rooster, or early in the morning. Otherwise, when he comes suddenly, he might find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, be alert. Well, good morning, everyone. If I haven't met you, my name's Ed, and uh, we've got a wonderful passage ahead of us this morning. Uh, can I encourage you, this is not going to a cafe this morning. This is like going to the gym. So you're going to need to work this morning. And uh, can I not apologise for that? Because the word of God is rich. And so please have your Bibles open. If you don't have a Bible, please grab one at the corner and take it home with you. We'd love to give you a Bible. But please open it at Mark 13. Uh, there are notes uh, that you're w able to take. You probably will want to take some notes because I will say things you don't agree with this morning. Uh, and that's okay. Because the, the word of Lord is rich and has great things to say to us. So let's ask the Lord for help. Father God, we thank you that your word is wonderful. And as Jesus said to his disciples then, and as he says to us now, listen. So we ask that we would listen this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. A generation ago, a Kodak moment was something worth capturing on film to be enjoyed forever. Today, a Kodak moment describes a remarkable business failure. In 1980, Kodak was the world leader in photography. It was the world leader in cameras, in film and in print. Yet digital was coming. In 1975, a Kodak engineer invented the first digital camera. In 19, sorry, the management said in 1975, that's cute, don't tell anyone. In 1981, Sony released its first digital camera. And Kodak researchers correctly predicted that Kodak had 10 years until there would be a tipping point to digital. So Kodak's management decided to focus on film and print technology. In the 90s, they then decided to spend billions of dollars trying to print digital images. And so in the early 2000s, when people moved from printing photos to sharing them across the web, Kodak missed the moment. In 2003, they were replaced as the world leader. And in 12, 2012, Kodak was bankrupt. You see, management had misread the times. They'd missed the moment, they'd dug their heels in, and Kodak was replaced. Israel's leaders 
were having a Kodak moment in Mark 13. A disruptor had arrived and he had turned everything upside down. Now, for three years, it had been an underground movement up in Galilee. It had been an annoying pest. But now Jesus had come to Jerusalem and he'd taken the leaders on head on. He was debating with them. He was challenging them. He was judging them. And the leaders had a choice, digital or film. Would they listen, change, get on board with Jesus Or would they dig their heels in and protect their power? And the leaders decided to kill him. And so in chapter 13, verse 1, Jesus leaves the temple for good. He never goes back to that that, that, um, building. And so like in Ezekiel chapter 10, the divine presence leaves the temple and it is left to its destruction. So chapter 13, verse 1, As Jesus was going out of the temple, one of the disciples said to him, Teacher, look, what massive stones, what impressive buildings. Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon one another. All will be thrown down. Now, when we don't have really much to compare this with, but the temple... It was the wonder of the Roman world. It dominated Jerusalem. It had gold plating on all four sides, which meant no matter where you were in Jerusalem, it shone like the sun. It was the focus of Israel's security. It was the focus of their worship. It was the focus of their connection with God. And in chapter 13, verse 2, Jesus announces, As splendid as it is, its time at the centre of God's economy is over. Now, we're not to think of it as a worn-out pair of jeans, right? It's being judged. It is a fruitless tree, a place devoid of truth and mercy. And in Mark 13, Jesus is saying, It is being replaced. Now, if you're a Jewish person, that was like having the floor ripped out from underneath you. And every time Jesus mentions this, and then the apostles mention this, they always lost public goodwill. But the more important question is, what is the temple being replaced with? What will become the centre of God's people? What will be their focus of worship and authority? And the answer is... Jesus. Jesus is not just cleaning up the temple. Jesus will replace the temple. He becomes the place where there is true worship. He becomes the place where there is the source of authority. And we see that in verses 24 to 27. So jump down to that. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed light. The stars will be falling from the sky and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Jesus announces something earth shattering is happening right in front of the disciples' eyes. Now that language to us, it sounds like it's the world ending, but actually it's not. 
It is a reference back to the prophets in the Old Testament. And they used cosmic disintegration imagery to describe God's judgment on God's enemies. And so you see in Isaiah and in Ezekiel, the same language is used as God says, I'm going to judge Egypt and I'm going to judge Babylon and I'm going to judge Edom. And now Jesus beautifully uses the same language to announce God's judgment on Jerusalem and the temple. What it's saying here is its time is done. There is about to be a change in power. And then look at verse 26. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. He will send out the angels, gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Again, Jesus is using Old Testament prophecy to make his point. He is not here talking about his return in the future. What Jesus is saying here is he's the son of man from Daniel 7. He is the one who is the king of God's kingdom. And he is about to sit on the throne. He will have everlasting power over all the nations and no longer will the temple be the center. In Mark 13, Jesus wants his disciples to get their heads out of the sand. Life was not going to continue on with a nice, beautiful building and some average poor leaders. No, no, the great replacement was about to happen in their generation. In the next 40 years, Jesus would replace the temple. Now, what would you have thought if you were sitting on the Mount of Olives and you were looking at this gold-plated building? Well, the disciples, they were shocked. And so they said to Jesus, tell us the times, tell us the dates. And Jesus says, you don't need to know that. What you need to do is prepare to follow me in the short term and in the long term. Now, in verses 3 to 31 that Jarrett read, you would have seen the repetition of the words, these things and those days. For those verses, we are talking about something that happened in the lifetime of the disciples. You and me, we want to read ourselves into those verses because we see earthquakes and wars and persecution, but it's not about you. It was about them. Okay? Only from 32 onwards do we talk about that day, which is in the future. Because Jesus is preparing his disciples to follow him in those days and in that day the past and the future. And if you were to read this in AD 70 or 80, you would have seen that Jesus fulfilled everything he said that would happen in those days. Okay, two points today. Number one, read the times and respond wisely. So Jesus, he's talking to his disciples and he knew the next 50 years were going to get a bit messy. This was a disruptive event which would impact individuals, nations, and especially God's people. 
And so Jesus loved those guys and he said, you need to be able to read the times. We're not very good at reading the times. Jimmy Kimmel did a beautiful experiment. Let's have a look. Brilliant, isn't it? We've got to be able to read the times. It's not about reading a calendar. Okay? Jesus' disciples needed the ability to grasp what was going on in front of them so they could cope with the mess and follow Jesus. And so he helps them read the times by giving them three lessons. Okay, number one, the disciples needed to avoid short-sightedness. Have a look at verse 7, verse 7. When you hear of wars and rumours of wars, don't be alarmed. These things must take place, but it is not yet the end. Now, human beings, we're prone to short-sightedness. What short-sightedness means, we only see what we want to see. And that's especially the case when there's political or natural disorder and it impacts us personally. And so we can easily catastrophize stuff and rush to crazy conclusions. But what Jesus does with his friends is say, you've got to read the times. There's going to be wars. And there was. There was the Parthian War in AD 58. There's going to be earthquakes. There was Pompeii, AD 62. Political and natural disorder... It's going to happen, but it's just a natural part of a broken world. And so choosing who you listen to is the key when life is messy. You see, deceivers always use disorder to scare people and make them not trust Jesus. A deceiver always wants you to trust someone else except for Jesus. And that happened regularly in the early church. Christians were tempted to go back to Judaism in Hebrews, to mysticism in Colossians, to superstars in Corinthians. And it happens today, doesn't it, as Christians leave Jesus to trust Mary or Muhammad or themselves. You see, the only way to read the times when life is messy is to listen to Jesus. He is on the throne. And his clear words are the filter by which we can interpret the times and then the claims of people. Secondly, the disciples need to be ready for hard times. Verse 9. But you, be on your guard. They will hand you over to local courts and you will be flogged in the synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings because of me as a witness to them. 
This is the most personal part of Mark 13. And he says to his friends, you guys are not going to be spectators. Because you associate with Jesus, you will be singled out for hatred and ill treatment by Jewish and secular powers. And then later on, even their own families will reject and betray them. But Jesus says, read the times. It's not the time for comfortable Christianity. It's the time for courageous proclamation. Jesus' priority was never their safety. They were never to pray for persecution to stop like we do. They were to pray that Jesus would use the persecution to spread the gospel. And you know what? As they were persecuted and as they became refugees, the gospel went out into Asia Minor. And his disciples, they're to steel themselves for the hard times ahead. But not with fear, because Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit will help them speak about Jesus. And ultimately, they will be victorious. Now, these men were very disappointing. They were often frightened. Did they listen to Jesus? Absolutely. If you read Acts this week, you read how the disciples, they grasped the priority of the gospel over their own comfort. And the Holy Spirit helped these uneducated, inadequate men to speak clearly and boldly about Jesus in courtrooms and families. And they kept going. They kept promoting Jesus, never themselves. And whilst we will never be pulled in front of a synagogue, their actions are a model to us as we go through difficult times. We need to not be surprised that the press are against us at the moment because this is the time for proclamation, not comfort. It's the time for people in Orange to hear about the good news of Jesus, not for us to have a comfortable life in Orange. The third lesson was they need to respond quickly. Verse 14. When you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand, then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. Now, sirens, sirens mean react straight away. If we were on an island, we heard a tsunami warning, get to higher ground. If you have a smoke alarm go off overnight, get outside. Jesus declares there'll be a siren during the disciples' generation, when it will be essential for God's people to listen and respond quickly. And the siren is the abomination of desolation. Again, an idea from the prophets, this time from Daniel 9 and 11, 600 or so years before this time. And Jesus uses this prophecy to help the disciples. The abomination was an evil presence in the temple which compelled Jewish people to abandon the temple. So evil presence in the middle of the temple, Jewish people, they get out of there. And in BC, 167 BC, the abomination promised in Daniel happened. Antichus IV came into the temple and offered a pig 
as a sacrifice to Zeus on the temple or altar of God. He then used the temple as a brothel. What did the Jewish people do? They abandoned their temple. But Jesus in the first century is saying another abomination will happen. Now, lots and lots of debate on what it is. There are some people who believe that it is the death of Jesus, the Son of God, in the city of God. That is an abomination, right? But I think it's more likely that Jesus is talking about Jewish zealots under John of Giscala in AD 66. Because these Jewish people, they were the kind of extremist Jewish, and they came and they took over the temple, they kicked the Levites out, they installed their own priests and their own sacrificial system, and the Jews stopped going to the temple, and importantly, This was a few years before the Romans attacked Jerusalem. But back in 30 AD, Jesus is calling his disciples to read the times. They're not to think that having their beautiful gold-plated temple means that everything is going to be okay. They're not to listen to people who come and say, look at my signs and wonders, I can beat the Romans. Jesus' disciples need to listen. Because when they see that sign, it was the time for them to get anybody in Judea, not just Jerusalem, anyone in Judea to flee, to flee straight away because a time of great suffering was coming. Because God is bringing judgment on Jerusalem and the temple. Horrifically in AD 70, Jesus' words came true. Everything you read in Mark 13 about pregnant women and suffering came true as the Romans attacked Jerusalem. And it led to horrific suffering for those who remained. Christians who listened to Jesus ran away to refuge. Those who ignored Jesus suffered greatly. As the disciples were sitting on the Mount of Olives, looking at that beautiful temple, they were confronted by one question. Is Jesus worth listening to? That was their Kodak moment. Will we go with what we can see? Will we go with what Jesus says? And beautifully, Jesus gives them a promise that he wanted to etch onto their hearts. You see it there in 31? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. They can trust the great disruptor more than a stone temple because his words never fail. Whether they were in a time of disorder earthquakes, famine or stability, a time of persecution or peace, poverty or plenty, the words of Jesus never fail. And do you know that the disciples, they witnessed that truth firsthand over the next 40 years. Within days, the Son of God died on the cross, just as he said. Three days later, Jesus beat death just as he said. 
50 days later, Jesus ascended to the right hand of God and then gave the Holy Spirit to his people, just as he said. In AD 70, the temple was destroyed, just as he said. You see, Jesus, he's replaced the temple. He's now the place where First Nations people can meet with God. He's the place where a Gentile can meet with God, a Jew can meet with God. Anyone in Orange can meet and connect with God at Jesus. And he's the, he's the place, he's the only place we can receive mercy from God and security in God. We never need to go to a building. We go to Jesus. He is the enthroned king. His word never fails. Convicted drug smuggler of the Bali Nine, Andrew Chan and Myron Sukumaran, they lived their last few months not knowing when they'd face the firing squad. That reality focused their minds as they worked out how they would spend their last days. Do you know that both of them got themselves right with God? Both of them became Christian and they were right with their Lord Jesus. And then they asked the prison officers how they could spend their last days helping rehabilitate other prisoners. And so Andrew used his counselling to help inmates. Andrew ran the inmate church and Myron, he ran art classes, he taught IT and cooking. Here's what Andrew says. It's not that I fear death, but I promised Jesus I'd serve him for the rest of my life. Look at verse 32. Now concerning that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angel in heaven nor the son, but only the father. Watch, be alert, for you don't know when the time is coming. See the change of topic? We have gone from things that Jesus is very clear when will happen to now something that Jesus doesn't know when will happen. We've gone from these things to that day, the day when King Jesus will return. The day when Jesus returns will be the final act of the great replacement, when Jesus will judge the whole world. And as with every other word Jesus says, it's 100% certain. And so the lesson to every Christian, whether the first century disciple or the 20th, 20th, whatever century we're in, us, is listen to Jesus. Be ready. Live your entire life ready to meet him. And friends, that's our Kodak moment. Is Jesus really worth listening to? Because we don't sit on a mountain looking at a temple, do we? We sit looking at orange, which is doubling down on the God of humanity. As the Izuzu ad says, go your own way. You do you. You want it, have it. You feel it, must be right. The prophets of our time say, Christians, come and join us. Be enlightened. Your Jesus is politically incorrect. 
Your Jesus is out of date. Your Jesus is misogynistic. Your Jesus is mythical. Your Jesus is a fool. Come and worship at the temple of self as you parent your children, as you go to work, as you play. Jesus calls his followers to read the times. Our our world is sincerely wrong. Like the Pharisees, they are smart, dedicated, persuasive, respected and sacrificial, but they're having a Kodak moment. They are chasing self-fulfillment while riding the Titanic. Their time is limited. For King Jesus, not King Human, is on the throne. And King Jesus will return and everyone will have to give an answer for their own life. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you'll listen to him. Because it's the only way to be ready for Jesus' return. And we will not be ready if our Bibles are closed at home. You cannot read the times at work or online if your Bible is shut. We can only read the Bible. Sorry, we can only read the times if we read Jesus' words. And so what Jesus does today is challenge you to collect his promises. Stop living on John 3.16. Read his words and memorize the promises of Jesus so that whether you're in suffering or sadness or death or comfort, the words of Jesus, the promises of Jesus are what is at the heart of your life. And we also won't be ready if we misread the times. I think we at OEC need to take some lessons from two drug smugglers. Too often our prayers around church are for less persecution, for more comfort, for more blessing, and for more ease. That misreads the time. The Lord Jesus is coming back and his priority right now is seeing his name go to orange. And it's for us as his people to get on with his work like the servants in the parable at the end of the passage. And so Jesus calls you to look in the mirror each morning and say, I'm on his staff. He's not on mine. I have a role to play for Jesus today. It doesn't matter how weak or useful I feel. It's only about willingness. Lord Jesus, how can I say something, do something that will serve you today? Please never sit in church as a spectator. You have a role to play because you are a servant of Jesus. Please don't sit in church waiting for someone to ask you to be useful. Today is the day to be useful because King Jesus is on the throne. He has replaced the temple and we listen to him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, that incredible event that has happened in the past, 
when you replaced the temple and sat on the throne. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we now come to you. Whether we are from overseas or here, whether we are Jew or Gentile, whether we have grown up in church or have come recently, we all come to you the same. You are our authority, you are our security, and you are the place we find mercy, and you are the place where we do true worship. May our eyes and our ears be always on you. Amen.